0: If you would, turn in your Bibles to Lamentations chapter 4, Lamentations chapter 4, as we continue in our series in the book of Lamentations. We have uh, three Sundays left, counting this Sunday, in the book of Lamentations. We'll spend uh, two uh, Sundays in chapter 4 and one in chapter 5 as we wrap up our series in Lamentations, Learning uh, to Lament. And, and today we're going to look at uh, verses 1 through 11. Last two Sundays, we looked at chapter 3. We saw how that God's love never ceases, that his mercies are new every morning, uh, that uh, he does not contend forever uh, and does not afflict man from his heart. We saw how God is just, that he is sovereign and holy, uh, that he is good and that he is merciful. Uh, And today, uh, as we look at Lamentations chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, we're going to see how God's judgment, God's judgment actually brings hope. His judgment upon sin brings us hope. And so if you would, turn with me as I read Lamentations chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. How the gold has grown dim, how the pure gold is changed. The holy stones lie sh- scattered at the head of every street. The precious sons of Zion were worth their weight in fine gold. How they regarded as earthen pots, the work of a potter's hands. Even jackals offer the breast, they nurse their young. But the daughter of my people has become cruel, like the ostriches in the wilderness. The tongue of the nursing infant sticks to the roof of its mouth for thirst. The children beg for food, but no one gives to them. Those who once feasted on delic- delicacies perish in the streets. Those who were brought up in purple embrace ass heaps. For the chastisement of the daughter of my people has been greater than the punishment of Sodom, which was overthrown in a moment, and no hands were wrung for her. Her princes were purer than snow, whiter than milk. Their bodies were more ru- ruddy than coral. The beauty of their form was like sapphire. Now their face is blacker than soot. They are not recognized in the streets. Their skin has swiveled on the bones. Swiveled on the bones. It has become as dry as wood. Happier were the victims of the sword than the victims of hunger, who wasted away, pierced, by lack of the fruits of the field. The hands of compassionate women have boiled their own children. They became their food during the destruction of the daughter of my people. The Lord gave full vent to his wrath. He poured out his hot anger, and he kindled a fire in Zion that consumed its foundations. Let us pray. Almighty Father, we come before you knowing that we need your spirit to open our eyes and our hearts and minds to your word. That Father, that we might receive the truth, that we might act upon it, that, Father, we might trust in your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. How does gold lose its luster, its sign? Physical gold does not actually tarnish, but it can lose its sign from dust, lotions, powders, Soaps and the oil from your skin. And if we think of gold as a metaphor, as uh, Jeremiah uses it here at the beginning of chapter 4, that if we think of gold as a metaphor, what represents beauty and nobility and all that is good and just and beautiful, then definitely gold can lose its luster in sign in life suffering and pain and affliction and just sometimes the mundane march uh, marching on of time can dull the lo- luster of life and we don't live in a world that's getting better every day rather we live in a in a world that has lost its shine that is broken by hate and cruelty and murder we live in a world where Christ, to include Christians, where people to include Christians are, are racked by sin and death and rebellion against our just and holy creator. And Lamentations chapter 4 here presents us uh, with how the world often is, not how we want the world to be. And as we see the world's brokenness and even the brokenness that is presented to us in chapter 4, when we see that brokenness and even our own brokenness, the, the point of that brokenness is that it is to lead us to repentance and trust in God's mercy for those who have eyes to see. And so here in Lamentations chapter 4, we see God's judgment. We see his wrath and his anger poured out against sin. And yet we see a glimmer of hope. And so here, chapter 4, as a as a lament, as a poem of lament gives gives us and gives people the chance to express hope in the midst of calamity, whether that calamity is caused by our own sin or the sins of natural disaster uh, or the sins of other people or or uh, by natural disaster of a fallen world. And so as we look at chapter 4, we, we're going to see that chapter 4 builds on Chapter 3 and its message of hope. Chapter 3 was the pinnacle of lamentations. It it was a message of hope that God's love never ceases, that his mercies are renewed every morning. Great is his faithfulness. And and so we're going to see how it builds off of that. And at the end of chapter 4 next week, we're going to see that God has heard his people's prayers, that their punishment has come to an end, and that the enemies their enemies will be judged and we know from history that they will return from exile but before we get to next Sunday we have to deal with verses 1 through 11 where we'll encounter the horrific effects of sin we'll encounter the utter depravity of man but we'll find hope in the poured out wrath of God hope in God's judgment. And so the first thing we see here in chapter 4 is we see the horrific effects of sin that lead uh, to the brokenness uh, of this world, to the brokenness of people, uh, and to our own brokenness even as Christians. We find that in verses 1 through 2, in verses 5 through 9. And so here in verses 1 through 1, the prophet says, How the gold has grown dim, how the pure gold... Is changed, and and so what we're going to see as we move through this chapter, uh, what the prophet is talking about is how the effects of sin has marred all that is good and just and holy. And and, and we're going to see that it's not only marred what is good and just and holy, but it has left humanity broken, specifically in this context, the, the people of Judah uh, has left them broken. And, and that's what sin does. Sin breaks us. It destroys us. It destroys relationships. It has destroyed, uh, uh, it has marred creation uh, as it entered uh, through Adam and Eve's sin in marred creation. It has dimmed God's image that is in every man. And, and, and so that's how uh, the gold has grown dim. And so, as we look at here uh, uh, the horrific sins, uh, the horrific effects of sin, uh, the first thing we're going to see is the marring effects of sin upon people and culture. We, we see this in the second part of verse 1. Having said how the gold has grown dim and how the pure gold is changed, he goes on to say, The holy stones lie scattered at the head of every street. Now, here, uh, the prophet. Uh, is talking about how sin has marred all that is holy. That that their sin specifically, uh, the people of Judah's sin, has led to the destruction of the temple. The temple was the center of their religious life, of all that was holy and sacred to them. And, and so here he says how the holy stones lie scattered at the head of every street. The temple was uh, overlaid with gold and and so you could see it from a distance. Sign, uh, and now after the Babylonian army has come through, uh, that has been destroyed and scattered, along with the golden utensils and and all the uh, uh, all the things made of silver and precious metals and and, and uh, uh, jewels. Uh, they've been scattered, and, and so that that here we see this uh, of the scattering of all how sin has destroyed uh, their their uh, holy or sacred uh, 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 life, their religious life here. And, and this is also, and while that has happened physically, uh, the prophet here is also using it as a metaphor, as a metaphor uh, of the fact that, that their culture, which was built around the temple, their religious culture, which was a, a part of their society as a whole, it couldn't really be separated out, that it also uh, has been marred and destroyed because of their sin, and that's what sin does. It, it it has a way of marring the sacred and the holy. It has it has a way of of uh, of taking what is good from God and twisting it, and marring it, and destroying it. This is this is why. Why in Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah says in chapter 29 verse 13 concerning uh, the people of Israel uh, and and the people of Judah uh, that they honored God with their lips. With their mouth, they honored God. And with their lips, they honored God. While their hearts were far from him and the fear of God were commandments taught by men. uh, Their own sin had led them to take the good things of God that he had given them in the law and to twist them into commandments of men, traditions of men. And and this is the verse that Jesus was alluding to in Matthew chapter 15 verses 7 through 9 when, when he admonished the Pharisees for breaking God's commandments for the sake of their traditions. He says these people honor me with their lips but their heart is far from me in vain do they worship me teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And this is what sin does. It can take that which is good and holy and just from God and mar it and twist it. And this is what happened to the people of God here. The holy stones lie scattered at the head of every street. Sin mars all that is holy. But the second thing we see in verse 2 concerning the horrific effects of sin is that the the marring of the dignity of humanity, the the marring of the dignity of humanity. Uh, He says here, the precious sons of Zion, worth their weight in fine gold, how they're regarded as earthen pots, the work of a potter's hand. And, And so the precious sons of Zion, who are they? They are the people of god this is a way of saying uh, a shorthand of saying the the daughters and sons of zion the the people of god and, and so they were at least in their eyes and and certainly in god's eyes because god chose them uh, and so they were only special in that sense because god chose them but they considered in their own eyes that they were the best of peoples right they, they had uh, pride had entered their hearts and thought look at us we are God's chosen people. Uh, and, and so they would say, uh, look, we have the temple, the temple, the temple. And, and, and so they uh, thought they were God's gift to humanity. Uh, and, and, and so uh, even though they weren't being what they were supposed to be, a blessing for all nations, and that's what they thought. And, and, and so, so what did sin do? They, they thought they were a treasure to the nations, but now, now what sin da, did... Uh, it is because of their sin and, and the judgment of God, it made them uh, consi- to be considered disposable. That's what he's getting at when, when he says, now they're regarded as earthen pots, the work of a potter's hands. Earthen, earthen pots uh, back then were like Tupperware today, right? Uh, or those little containers you get lunch meat in, uh, you know, that you save to put other food in. and." And then when you're done, you throw them away. That's what earthen pots were back then, uh, because they just—that's what they used, and, and, and so they were disposable. And, and so basically, because of the uh, the effects of sin, the marring that it it marred the dignity of humanity, and, and so they became disposable uh, in there. And so that's what effects do the effects of sin does it it demeans and it devalues the worth of people who are created in the image of God. And, and because of sin, we don't think of people like that, as we should. We should view every person as created in the image of God, because that's what they are, and therefore they have dignity, and therefore that's why we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. But because of their sin, they marred the dignity of of humanity. C.S. Lewis wrote and he reminds us about this dignity, he says this, he says, there are no ordinary people, you have never talked to a mere mortal, nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal and their lives is to us as the life of a gnat, but it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. You never met a mere mortal. But this is what sin does. It causes us to forget that everyone has dignity and everyone is made in the image of God. But not only do we see the marring effects of the dignity of humanity, we see the brokenness of society and its leaders in verses five through nine. We'll get back to verses three through four here in a minute. But in verses five through nine, we see the, mar- the brokenness of society and its leaders because of sin. This is what sin does. Uh, you know, we don't even have to look uh, to verses five through nine. We can just look around our own society today and see the brokenness that sin causes, uh, especially in families and among children. And so here, though, this is in their context. Here's what happened because of their sin. And we see how it led to brokenness and destruction of their society and leaders. He says, those who once feasted on delicacies perished in the streets. Those who embraced, who were brought up in purple, embraced ass heaps. Now, who are those who feast on delicacies? And those who were wear purple but the best and the brightest, right, of society. Especially in the ancient world, purple was very expensive, not like today. And so, uh, and so if you could afford purple clothing, uh, it either meant you were a royalty or you were very wealthy uh, in, in that. And so, so the best and the brightest, this is what he's getting at, uh, the prophet's getting at that sin had marred uh, even the best and brightest of society. They once feasted on delicacies... But because of their sin as a society, their sin against God, that they're no longer feasting on delicacies. They're perishing in the streets. They're dying, or they're, or they were those who were brought up in purple, the best and the brightest. They're embracing ash heaps. That that's an indication of of humiliation. Uh, if they're embracing ash heaps, right? Meaning meaning they're no longer eating delicacies. They're, they're, they're chomping down on ass heaps. That would be a humiliation, wouldn't it? That would be a, a shame. And, and so this is what sin does. And, and so we see the contrast of the best and brightest. Uh, they went from their position uh, of being the best and brightest to knowing death and humiliation. But in verse 6, uh, we not only see uh, how it, this contrast of the best and brightest, but we see how God's judgment uh, has led to uh, the brokenness of society, uh, the destruction of their society. In, in verse 6, he says, "...for the chastisement of the daughter of my people has been greater than the punishment of Sodom, which was overthrown in the moment, and no hands were wrung for her." And so, so here he refers to the destruction of Sodom. Sodom, God rained down uh, a, a fire upon Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, and it was instant, and, and, and there's destruction but the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple uh, and the people uh, took time and and because it was God's judgment against their great sin uh, and their sin was even greater than Sodom because Sodom uh, was in rebellion against God. Uh, It was not God's people, but these were God's people who had God's covenant law and they rebelled against it. And so God chastised them and punished them for the sin and he broke Uh, society and its leaders because of their sin and their rejection of his law. But we also see that brokenness in its leaders in verses 7 through 9. It says, Her princes were purer than snow, whiter than milk. Their bodies were more ruddy than coral. The beauty of their form was like sapphire. In in other words, again, here's some more of the best and brightest, the leaders uh, of the nation. They had a beauty of nobility and character uh, uh, along with uh, their physical uh, uh, beauty but, but their, their sin, their brokenness that sin caused, took it all away uh, it says now their face is blacker than soot, they are not recognized in the streets their skin had swiveled on their bones. It has become dry as wood. This was the effects of the seeds, the three-year seeds that was against Jerusalem. Or even, even the rich and, and the leaders were begging for food, and and, and they were looking uh, uh, swiveled because of their hunger uh, and not being able to eat. Uh, and so they went from their high position uh, uh, to this low position, and their sin is what took this all away. But finally, we see the brokenness of society and its leaders. In in, in verse 9, it says, Happier were the victims of the sword than the victims of hunger who wasted away, pierced by lacks of the fruit of the field. Their their sin and their brokenness made them wish for death. They said to themselves, you know, it would have been better had we perished in the street than we went through this hunger, the starvation, uh, and, and, and so this is what sin does. Uh, maybe you've met people who have who are suicidal. Maybe you've dealt with people like that, and sometimes they're in that position because they have lost all hope uh, and, and they despair of their life and that their life is in a mess and they don't know what to do, and this is where their sin has led them, their brokenness has led them to wish even for death. Uh, that it would be better if they were dead. And so we see that sin sin leads to the brokenness of society, uh, people at all levels, even leaders in the best and the brightest. And so we see here in these first verses the horrific effects of sin. Now, we live, we live in a very comfortable country We live in an area of our country uh, that is not a city, and so we're not often confronted with violence. We're not often confronted with the effects of uh, drugs and other things. But our society, and not just the US, but around the world, that there's a brokenness. Because this is what sin does. It breaks people, it breaks relationships. And it breaks the bonds of culture and society, and this is part of God's judgment upon sin, whether it was for the people of Jerusalem, but even for us today. That this is uh, part of God's judgment in this—that when Adam and Eve sinned and sin, uh, sinned against Him, and sin and death entered—that is the effect of sin and death, that it has broken and has marred the world, not only man but creation as a whole. And one of the things that that it did is that it made man go from good, right? When God created Adam and Eve, male and female, he created them. What did he say? It's very good. That he said about his creation as a whole, it is very good. But sin has marred us so much that, that we now are depraved and so the things we're going to see in verses 3 through 4 and verse 10 is going to speak to the depravity of man, a depravity that knows no bounds. Now this means, what does it mean that man is depraved? It means that man is sinful. The world says that man is basically good, but the Bible says that man is basically sinful. It means that everything has been touched by sin. And when we think of man then, it means that our reason is, has been touched and marred by sin. It means that our emotions have been touched and marred by sin. It means that our will has been marred and touched by sin. All of man marred and touched by sin. And that's why, uh, you know, to think that you can reason well is actually prideful because we, we can reason to a point, but even our reason is marred and touched by sin. That's what depravity of man means, Jeremiah 17 9 puts it this way, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Who can understand it? And and, and so what we're going to see in verses 3 through 4 and verse 10 is how this sickness is presented in our text, the sickness that affected them because of their sin. And so the first thing we're going to see is Humanity's cruelty in its treatment of its most innocent and vulnerable people. Look at verse 3 and 4. Even jackals offer the breast. They nurse their young, but the daughter of my people has become cruel like the ostriches in the wilderness. The tongue of the nursing infant sticks to the roof of its mouth for thirst. The children beg for food, but no one gives them gives to them. And so because uh, of their sin, that uh, the uh, Babylonian army sieged Jerusalem for three years, and of course anything like that causes uh, a dearth of food. And so what what should uh, um, parents do? Uh, take care of their children, right? And what should society do? Should take care of the children. But what happened in that siege? It says that the children were not taken care of, that they had to beg for food, but no one would give it to them. And so here the prophet says, says what, a, what a travesty, what a depravity. He says, even, even in creation, when you look at creation, when you look at animals like the jackal, uh, which is, you know, it's not considered a friendly animal, even they take care of the children. That even nature speaks against them here in their sins. That, and so, so our depravity shows in our cruelty to the treatment of the most vulnerable among us. And you don't have to look long and hard for that depravity and that cruelty in our society today. I, 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 just, I can't count the number of times when I'm looking at the news headlines of parents who have either murdered their children or kept their children in the basement for two years, or, you know, locked up, or some other cruelty that they've done to them. And this is the depravity of man, and it shows uh, in our treatment of our most vulnerable, and nature speaks against it. And so God's people here uh, were judged by God for their cruel. Cruelty and their unwillingness to care for their own children, but the worst of that depravity is seen in verse ten, against children. In verse ten, in a, in, a, in a verse that really ought to shock us, it says, "The hands of compassionate women have boiled their own children; they became their food during the destruction of the daughter of my people." And so, not only were they unwilling to take care of these children as they begged for food but those children became food in the seeds and this was God's judgment against them God judged them for the murder of their children before this see one one of the things the reason he judged them was one of the things they were doing was that they were murdering their children to carry out abominable worship to pagan and false gods. They were burning their children in the fire to Moloch and Chamas, Canaanite gods. And that never entered the mind of God to command his people to do. That's what Jeremiah says. Three times in Jeremiah he says that. I'm just going to read you one of them from Jeremiah verse, chapter 32, verse 35. It says... They built the high places of Baal in the valley of the son of Hinnom to offer up their sons and daughters to Moloch, though I did not command them, nor did it enter into my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. And so what happened in the siege here in verse 10 is God's judgment upon them for the murder of their own children for worship. Bad enough, they murdered their children, but they murdered their children to worship. And so God pronounced a curse upon them, that if they did such things and they forsake his covenant that he made with them, that that this was one of the curses mentioned in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 52 through 57. I'm going to read verse 53. This is the curse God pronounced upon them, he so said, they turn away from his covenant law and serve other gods. He said, you shall eat the fruit of your womb, the flesh of your sons and daughters, whom the Lord your God has given you in the seeds and in the distress, what your enemies shall distress you. And so here in verse 10, we see that curse carried out in the seeds of Jerusalem where they boiled their own children for food. And so the question for us, that ought to uh, come before our minds is what about the children? If God is good and just and holy and merciful, then what about the children? Why, why this curse and judgment? Why this vengeance in this way? Could not God have done it a different way? And when we ask that type of question, we we have to go back and remember that God is just and he is holy and he judges all sin and that man is depraved from the beginning. Children don't become depraved at some point. Children are born depraved. And while God will have mercy on those who don't know right from wrong, as the Bible tells us, God would not be wrong to judge everyone no matter their age because all of man is depraved. And yet God does show mercy. He is just. And and therefore, we must take God's word seriously when it comes to children. Words that came out of Jesus' own mouth. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. God cares about children. This is one of the worst curses you can find in the bible and one of the worst things you can hear coming from jesus not worse than that it was bad spoken but worse for man right he says if you harm a child it'd be better for you to have a millstone put around your neck and thrown into the depths of the sea than have to stand before a just and holy god now we don't Burned child, children in the fire for worship to a pagan god. But we do as a society murder our children in and out of the womb. And one of the worst things we do today is we traffic children all around the world. And in the U.S. alone, two million children a year are trafficked. And, and I won't even tell you what they're trafficked for because it's really unspeakable. This is a society we live in, and and God will judge that society in a just and holy way. This is the depravity of man. We don't we don't like to think about or talk about it, but it is real. That apart from Christ, man is depraved. It is it, it, in 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 our treatment of children. It is where humanity shows its worst. And so it leads me to another question: If that's the depravity of man, and where we show our worst how can god how can god wake us up to our wickedness and rebellion against him how can god wake us up to the cruelty of humanity and to our own depravity how does he show us that the gold has grown dim god does it through judgment look at verse 11 he says the lord gave full vent to his wrath he poured out his hot anger and he kindled a fire in Zion that consumes its foundations how does the Lord wake us up? through judgment, the wrath of God poured out upon our sin is our hope the wrath of God poured out on Jesus Christ is our hope says here that the Lord gave full vent to his anger. The Lord had given full vent to his anger to his wrath in destroying the temple and leveling the city and killing and carrying off his people into exile. He he poured his hot anger upon their sin like hot iron that is on fire being poured out of a crucible. He poured out his wrath. He set it ablaze among his people that consume their foundations. That's what it says here. He says, and he kindled a fire in Zion that consumed its foundations. John Piper describes God's wrath this way. Uh, He says, it is God's settled anger towards sin expressed in the repayment of suitable vengeance on the guilty sinner. And so look back at verse 10 here. We see what is the backdrop uh, before the destruction of the temple by the Babylonians. That they had turned from God to idols. They had burned their children in the fire to worship pagan gods. God gave them over to a reprobate mind for doing something that never entered his mind, as we saw in Jeremiah. And he gave them over uh, to the Babylonians to judge them. And he gave even parents over to a reprobate mind so that their children became their food. In Romans 1, tells us this is often how God's worst judgment upon sin is visited upon people. He gives them over to a depraved and reprobate mind. Listen to verses 24 through 29. He says, Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the Creator Creature, rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for the women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with the women who were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men, and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. And so God gave full vent to his anger. And often when he does so, not only does he allow, one of the ways he he allows sin to have its destructive and marring effects upon our lives. Why does God do this? God does this so that, that his judgment will consume our foundations. You see here, what Jeremiah is getting at is that foundations are what you build on, right? Foundations are what you build on, and, and they built uh, their trust on these foundations instead of God. Instead of trusting in God, they had built their trust on other foundations, other false, uh, uh, other gods who are false. They had build their foundations on the temple and its religious sacrifice. They had built their foundations not on God, but the things of this world. And, And so God, in his judgment, what he does is he consumes our foundations. And in consuming our foundations, he brings us to the point of brokenness because of our sin. And God consumed their foundations. He burned away their trust in their position. He burned away their trust in religious ritual and the tradition of men. He burned away their trust in their leaders who were trying to trust in other nations. He burned away their weak and effective foundations so that they would turn and trust only in him. And So friends, I want you to know that it is a mercy. It is a mercy from God when he consumes our foundations. When he consumes uh, those, the things of this world that we trust in and that he leaves us with nothing but to trust in him. That it is a mercy when the water rises and the wind blows to show us whether we have built on sand or whether we have built on the rock a solid foundation Jesus Christ. And so God uses his judgment, his bringing of calamity to lead us to repentance, to trust in him, to turn away from our flimsy worldly foundations, to turn away from our idols and turn to Jesus Christ. He burns them away so that we will be utterly dependent upon him. Now, while our idols today are no longer gold or silver or wood, they still must be toppled and those foundations destroyed so that we will turn and trust in Jesus Christ. And so while we don't worship metal images like a golden calf, if you have a false mental image of God, you're worshiping a false God. And so our golden idols, whatever they may be, uh, need to be destroyed and we need to have a true vision of God. That's, that's how we're going to, uh, uh, that's how you turn away from false foundations or you turn away from idols is you, you regain a true vision of God. That's one of the things I tried to help us do last week and uh, from the end of chapter 3 by showing you that God is just and sovereign and holy and good and merciful But today, one of the true vision of God we have to see is that God uses judgment as a mercy to lead us to trust in him. G. Gordon Campbell, who was a British preacher of the beginning of the last century, he put it this way, If we're guilty of idolatry, what will cure us? The vision of him as he is seen in Jesus Christ. You see, when you get a vision and, uh, of Jesus Christ, when you get a true uh, picture of who God is and what he's doing in this world, uh, his plan of redemption, that the golden images of this world will dim and eventually disappear. And so we saw part of that vision in chapter 3. We, we see more of that here in chapter 4. And verse 11 actually shows us that God is a gracious God who has used his wrath, the pouring out of his wrath, his judgment, to lead us to repentance. Because calamity has a way, uh, affliction and calamity and suffering has a way of waking us up to reality, doesn't it? It, it has a way of, of, of uh, 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 drawing back the curtain or the, uh, the walls that we have put up so that we can see clearly. That we can see that sin is destructive, that humanity is depraved, and hope is lost if we look to this world and its foundations. My friends, I'm here to tell you today that there is no greater calamity that has happened in the history of the world than the murder of the Son of God. Jesus Christ was sinless. He was without spot or blame. But he became the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world and he healed the brokenness of all those who trust in him. He bore our griefs. He carried our sorrows. He was stricken and smitten by God. He was afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, and God's chastisement was upon him so that we might have peace it is by his wounds that our brokenness that our sin was healed and God gave full vent to his wrath upon Jesus Christ it is in Jesus Christ then that we find hope because of God's judgment upon our sin and in fact Jesus Christ is our only hope in this world and the next. And so, dear one, I, I say to you here today, if you're not a Christian and you're deeply acquainted with the effects of sin and the destruction it has caused in your life, you can turn today to Jesus Christ, that you can find hope that Jesus Christ will heal you. doesn't mean that suffering will go away, but you'll find a confidence and a hope and a peace in him, and him alone. And For those of us who are Christians, uh, uh, my, my, my uh, admonition or my challenge or, or whatever word you might use to you is let us, let us cry out with the saints and sing the song that we have built our hope on a strong foundation. My hope is built on nothing less but Jesus Christ blood and his righteousness I dare not trust the sweetest frame but wholly lean on Jesus name on Christ the solid rock I stand all other ground is sinking sand all other ground is sinking sand let us place our hope in Jesus Christ he's the solid rock our firm foundation and in him the gold will never dim Let us pray. Gracious Father, it seems counterintuitive to thank you for your judgment upon our sin. But Father, we can thank you because you didn't place that judgment upon us. You placed that judgment upon Jesus Christ who bore all our sins, past, present, and future, who did so willingly and and, 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 uh, in love gave himself for us, that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become your righteousness. And so, Father, we praise you for your judgment, that you have poured out your wrath upon Jesus Christ, that you have consumed our foundations, that we are left utterly dependent upon him and him alone. And so, Father, continue to knit us back together to undo the marring that sin has done in our lives, to rebuild the destruction that we have allowed because of our sin and wickedness, Turn our hearts to you. Give us a desire to walk in holiness. That, Father, we might help others know the blessed peace that comes through Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray.